Good evening. Well, first of all, let me uh, say hello. Uh, thank you for having me here. It is a real pleasure to be with you. Um, I know Richard Woodsy uh, from Cornhill and from the pastor's training course. I studied with him there. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be with you. I've been once or twice. I've snuck in at the back once or twice of an, of an evening, actually when a couple of other Cornhill people have been speaking here. So I've been before. You just probably haven't seen me before because I've snuck in and out without you, without you noticing. But it's good to be here, and uh, I count it a real pr- a pleasure and privilege to be with you. Uh, well, what we'll do is let, let, let me read, and then I'll pray, and then we'll look at God's Word together. We're in James, James chapter 2. Reading verse 14, and I'm going to read through to verse 17. Can I just also very quickly say that uh, this is a little point of uh, information. I usually wear a hearing aid. I'm not wearing one tonight. So if I'm shouting or if I'm too quiet, just, well, I was going to say shout at me. I won't hear you. But give me some sort of hand signal and I'll try and adjust accordingly. James chapter 2, reading from verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of truth that we have sung together as a Christian family this evening. We uh, thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ and for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through whom we have forgiveness of sins. We have access to you, the Father, because we have been cleansed and forgiven and redeemed from our slavery to sin and to Satan, and to darkness. We've been brought into light and into fellowship with the God that has made us. So Lord, we rejoice in that gospel truth this evening. Father, we we thank you for it. We thank you for your words. And we pray now as we come to it that we will know the reality that we do not live by bread alone, but that we live by what comes from the mouth of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, James gets a, a, bad, uh, a bad image problem. It suffers from an identity uh, image problem sometimes, I think. Uh, and what will also be interesting, by the way, folks, you can tell me this afterwards, is that if, 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 if me and Richard hopefully are on the same page with these things, it'll be good to, good to hear that. But, but James, I think, suffers from an image problem. For some reason, uh, even though it, it is written in the format of a letter, People just seem to associate it more with a book like Proverbs than with a book like, let's say, Philippians or or Corinthians or or Romans. Probably partly in due to just how many uh, amazing nuggets there are, how many great verses there are in the book of James that we love to memorize, we love to quote. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, Let every person be slow to speak, uh, quick to hear, slow in anger. Even the demons believe and shudder. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. Uh, Then there's that famous passage. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil. Or what about that bit about Elijah? Elijah was a man just like us, with a nature like ours. James is is packed full of wisdom. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. Or else James is great at handing out advice. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. My brothers, show no partiality. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, that person's religion is worthless. And then finally, of course, these famous words that we are looking at tonight from chapter 2, some of the most well-known verses in the whole book. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And that's what we look at tonight. Uh, you know, that, that, the end of that little section there in verse 17, it says, uh, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that point is summarized again in verse 26, a bit lower down. It says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James... That's a, that's a, a, a very incomplete whistle-stop tour of some of the highlights of James. And, and it can appear disjointed. Um, it can appear disjointed, but like it's this brilliant sort of collection of wisdom and help. When, when we need it, just, just dip into James, pluck out the verse to help, whether it's about resisting the devil or whether it's about faith. There it is. It's in the book of James. It's, it's the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs, ready and waiting. But that is quite simply, I think, mistaken. It's not the full picture. James is a letter. It's a letter it's written by a person, by James. And he had real people in mind when he wrote it. There is some evidence to suggest he had a specific situation in mind as well or situations. James is far more focused, he has a much tighter message, and is therefore a lot more direct and piercing than we often give it credit for. And at its core, James is dealing with bad behavior. He's dealing with bad behavior. The people he's writing to somewhere, maybe in several places, they're not behaving as they should be if they claim the name Jesus. They are, there, there, there are people behaving badly. There's, there's some really obvious double-mindedness on the go where they, they say one thing and then go and do the exact opposite. And that comes up several times in, in the book of James. Hypocrisy is rampant. People's attitudes are in need of rebuking. James is actually very pointed, very direct, He's dealing with serious issues of the heart, 
And we sometimes miss this in our commendable pursuit of wisdom sound bites. And actually, some of the issues James is addressing, they could be present in my life, in our lives, even in the lives of our churches. Uh, James is, is addressing actually a people who are in denial. They think they're okay. And he's having, to, he's having to rebuke them. He's having to shake them and make them see that something's not quite right, which is why the heart of the letter in chapter 4 is so devastating. Chapter 4 in the first couple of verses. Oh, you adulterous people, James exclaims in, in, in verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And that is the main issue of James that he's addressing. He's, he's, he's addressing a people who are double-minded, they, they are hip, hypocritical, they are saying one thing but doing another, and James says that is destructive. And so no wonder he rebukes them and calls them to humble yourself then before God. And it's into that context, into, into that setting that our verses come in chapter 2. And they begin to make, I think, a bit more sense when we see where they fit. I mean, why does James suddenly start talking about faith and, and, and works? Where does Abraham fit into all this? Why does he talk about Abraham in a little bit? And it's because it's all dealing with this crisis that's happening, this double-minded standard where they're saying one thing and doing another. And James is simply saying that is not what biblical Christianity looks like. That is not what being a disciple of Jesus looks like. If you're living like that, there is something wrong, James is saying. And repentance is needed and change is needed. And I just want to, before we move into our verses, just let me make another couple of uh, observations. Uh, throughout the letter, James does a number of things repeatedly. He will often move from uh, everyday, everyday things to uh, big issues. He'll just jump from everyday little things to big issues, like talking about welcoming people in, in chapter 2, verse 1. And then suddenly it, it leads to deception in verse 4. And James often, uh, he also often moves from outward actions to inward attitudes. Outward actions, what we're doing outwardly, reflects inward attitudes of heart. And so in chapter 4, he asks, why are you quarreling? And the answer is, it's because you're at war within yourself. And another thing James highlighted is, is, our, is that our behavior towards other people reflects our attitude and behavior towards God. So how we treat other people says a lot about our attitude to God. And finally, James quite often goes from small beginnings to big ends. And a good example of this is in chapter 1. You can look at it later. Chapter 1, verse 15, he talks about desire, which which, and desire can be a, a neutral thing. You know, you know, desire can be good, desire can be bad, it, it can be neutral. Um, but then in, in, in chapter 1 he says, desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So you go from small to big. Desire to death. And, and I highlight these general James things because actually all of them 
pretty much appear in our verses in chapter 2. So, so, uh, so small to big, outward to inward, behavior to people, revealing our attitude to God. You know, it's all, it's all there. Verse 15, if a brother, chapter 2, verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Outward attitudes, outward behavior, inward attitudes. And so actually most of the big themes of James actually flow through the verses that we're looking at this evening. I don't know if that was deliberate or not when, when Richard was, was dividing up his, uh, his sections in James, but we are touching this evening on one of the key passages in the book of James. It's right at the heart and the center of the message of the letter. Double-mindedness, hypocrisy, bad behavior. James is needing to rebuke it and to teach and to correct. And so here in chapter 2, the focus is on the relationship between faith and works. And really, there's two questions that we're going to spend our, the rest of our time with this evening. Two questions that James asks in our verses, and the, uh, the first question is in verse 14, and the other is verse 16. And, and the first question, verse 14, is this. Can that faith save him? That's a question James asks. Can that faith save him? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, this is a very particular question about a very particular kind of faith. James is not asking here, he's not asking, can true biblical faith save a person with or without works attached on like some sort of bolt-on that you get with your, your mobile phone contracts? That's not what James is asking. If we think that's what he's asking, we've missed his points. What James is asking, what he is asking is this, does a faith that displays no fruit count as real biblical faith in the first place? That's what he's asking. Because if, it, if it's not, if it doesn't, if that kind of faith that does not display fruit, if that does not count as true biblical faith, then the answer is no, it cannot save him. No. It's a resounding no. But what I think happens uh, quite often in churches is uh, that we, we see the word faith and what we do is we then immediately jump to everything that we know about the word faith. So we, 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 we see the word faith and then we think, right, well, I know, uh, it's, uh, you know, I know that it talks about faith in Genesis with Abraham and I, I know that Paul touches on faith a lot and we jump to all those parts and then sometimes we miss the passage that we're actually looking at, what that has to contribute to the biblical picture of faith. And, and often in our zeal to protect the very true and the very right reality that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so true, amen, the danger is that we can minimize what that truth looks like when it takes root in a person's life. 
What does it look like when a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ, in Christ alone? What does that look like? What happens when the old person dies and the new person in Christ begins? What does that look like? That is what James is interested in. So James is less interested in he's less interested in soteriology, which is which is how are we saved, and he's more interested in the application of it. He's, he's, he's interested in what that looks like. He's interested in sanctification as well as salvation. And so faith then is, is it's more. Faith is more than simply believing in God and trusting that God can save us from sin. Do we, do we agree with that? Faith is more than simply believing that God can save us from our sin. And we know this because James himself says later on, and it's so often quoted, even the demons believe and shudder. And so true biblical faith is not, it's not a lonely island that exists by itself. Uh, biblical faith uh, must include transformation and restoration and, and liberation and redemption and sanctification. In, in short, it must, it must include change and fruit. It must. Otherwise, it's not faith. It's new, if it doesn't have that, that is not faith. All that is, is an abstract uh, acknowledgement of a truth. And that is radically different. That is not faith. Demons can do that. Demons can acknowledge that trusting in God, in Jesus' name, will save you from your sins. But they still belong in darkness. Why? Well, because all they're doing is acknowledging an idea. They have never put their trust and their life in Christ, obviously, and, and therefore never been changed. Uh, uh, they've, you know, they, that's not happened. Faith is a life-changing thing. Faith is placing your entire being into God's hand and surrendering your past, your present, your future. It's, it's saying to God, it's crying out to him, Lord, I believe, save me, change me, forgive me, cleanse me. Make me new. I believe you can. So Lord, do it. I believe. Help me. That is biblical faith. And that kind of faith, it cannot leave us unchanged. In fact, without change, faith without fruit, faith which does not change how we act, is not faith at all. And it shows that we've, we've never been saved in the first place. Think of Gideon. Think of Gideon. He was flawed, okay? He was a flawed guy, you know, with the, the, the fleece, he asked for a sign. Uh, but he, he also really did trust in God by obeying God's instructions with his tiny little army. Gideon's faith included action. We know Gideon had faith because he did what God said. He trusted if Gideon had claimed, oh, I believe in God and I have faith in him, but then he'd actually gone ahead and taken a massive army into battle, that would not have been faith. Same with Abraham. 
Abraham really did take his son up that mountain. Abraham was really ready to sacrifice his son. He placed his faith and his son in God's hands. And his, so therefore his faith included action. And so the question is, is James's faith then different to all the other types of faith that are in the Bible? Is James's faith, the classic question, is James's faith different to Paul's faith? That's a common question, isn't it? Doesn't James contradict Paul? After all, Paul says in, in Ephesians 2, verse 8, we could quote this perhaps, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So there you go. That goes completely against what James is teaching in chapter 2. No wonder Martin Luther thought that James was the the epistle of straw. But, but very simply, to put Paul up against James, that does, it's a false dichotomy. It doesn't work. Because James is not doing the same thing as Paul. James is not addressing the same thing as Paul. Paul, in Ephesians there, is talking about how a person is saved, whereas James is talking about why a person is saved. What are they saved for? And so in reality, James actually completely agrees with Paul. In fact, James assumes Paul. We must put our faith in God to be saved. And and likewise, Paul completely agrees with James. Paul's letters are full of of commands and where he implores people to live Uh, righteously, we must live like saved people. Romans is full of it. We must live uh, as people who have been saved by grace through faith. And it's why the New Testament is full of Paul's letters exhorting churches to repent of wrongdoing and start living as they ought. So then, the answer is, to to James' question, no, no. A faith that does not have works cannot save a person because a faith without works is alien to the pages of the Bible. It doesn't exist. And there's an implicit challenge there for us. What kind of faith do we have? Do we claim the right things? Do we, do we believe all the right doctrines of grace? But, but crucially, do we live as those who have been changed by the Holy Spirit, because we have been saved by grace through faith and have therefore been radically transformed. Have we changed from old selfish ways into new loving ways where we love God and love our neighbors? And I think it's also really important uh, before we move on just to acknowledge just how explicit James is about what kind of faith is true faith. James makes it crystal clear that it's not just about having our faith in our God. That's nonsense. No, what matters is that we have true faith in the, in the true God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob revealed in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's a very specific faith in the one and only true living God of the Bible. No other faith will do. 
But James has a, a second question, a shorter question, uh, but a second question for us at the end of verse 16. If a brother, in verse 15 uh, of chapter 2, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is a faith like that? James asked. We know the answer. None. It's garbage. It's rubbish. It's hypocrisy of the worst kind. It's double-mindedness of the cruelest order. It's sinfulness of the most malicious and cruel kinds. To see real need, real need, that we are entirely capable of meeting and yet we do nothing, that is a tragedy, James says. Now, we're not talking about live hate here. We're not talking about... Uh, you know, this isn't comic relief, sport relief territory we're in. James isn't challenging us to end world hunger on our own. Um, you know, because if we don't end world hunger overnight, obviously we're hypocrites. That's not the point, because we actually need to acknowledge that with the best efforts in the world, poverty and hunger will exist until the new creation. But what James is after is real, true, identifiable, actionable faith. Faith that does things about things it can actually do things about. None of us, I don't think, by ourselves, we will be able to end poverty overnight. It's just not going to happen. But, but, if someone were to walk in this evening, or if someone were to knock on the door of your house, and they were in desperate hunger, they had no roof over their heads, and, and we just said, be blessed. Be blessed. Well, James would call us adulterers. That sort of faith is dead in the water. Which, is, which makes it sort of classic Good Samaritan territory, doesn't it? I mean, what, uh, what we've just been talking about, and the example I think I just gave, um, is good, good Samaritan territory, and, and yet it has potential to be a stumbling stone for us today because it's so easy. It's so easy to let, let this truth brush off us like, like water off a duck's back because obviously, Nathan, none of us are like that. It's a Sunday evening, which probably means, I'm guessing it probably means that we have, I don't want to make any aspersions by anyone else, but we have people here that are probably committed Christians in the life of Seagate Church, because we're here on a Sunday evening, not just a Sunday morning. Okay, so, so I'm not talking, I don't think, perhaps to the newest converts in Seagate. I, I don't want to make any uh, judgments, but that may, may well be true. Of course, we know that, Nathan. Of course, we're going to feed a hungry person. We have, we have the cap center. But what if we commit the same sin in other ways? Do we do it with our wealth instead of our food? Do we say to people and to our churches, be blessed, go in peace, while our churches struggle financially and we go on our perhaps third holiday abroad this year? Do we say, go, go, uh, be blessed, go in peace with our time? Do we give sacrificially of our time so that the church and our brothers and sisters can be served? Maybe with that one person that we know is lonely at church and doesn't really have someone 
to speak to? Are they being loved? Are they being blessed? Or are they being ignored? What about our talents? So easily we use our talents at work or in our own recreational time. But what about the kingdom of God? Do we say be blessed, go in peace whilst choosing to overlook that obvious need in the life of the church that we could fill? What about our homes? Places we work so hard to build and to protect. Are we blessing people with our homes? Are we creating uh, little isolated castles of solitude that no one can penetrate because that's my special place where I go to escape? Are we generous with our homes? Do we open our doors? Do we let our neighbors in? What about our churches? Do we say, go in peace, be blessed, may you be prosperous, may you grow. But at the same time, what we really focus on is empire building rather than kingdom building. We seek the advancement of our own church instead of Christ's church. What it boils down to is this. Will we do more than talk? And I mean actually. Because James's point is, is that what we do really, really, really matters. Not only does what we believe matter, but what we do because of what we believe matters as well. Although works do not save us, they do indicate whether we have ever been saved in the first place. Works are hugely important markers. That may sometimes sounds wrong to say that in, 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 in Protestant churches because we, we know how hard we have had to fight for the truth that we are saved by grace alone. But sometimes then we minimize the fact that it doesn't just come by itself. That's why, amongst many other things, you know, for someone to say, well, I'm a Christian, but ah, I, don't really, I can't really see the point going to church. I mean, that's just, that just falls flat on its face. That, that doesn't work. It doesn't make sense of the gospel revealed in the Bible. Because if a person has been saved by grace through faith in Christ, that will have changed everything. And a love for Christ will mean a love for his church. His word, his word will have flooded their lives and their beings and altered their priorities, which is why faith without works is dead. It's why a faith without works cannot save anyone. And it's why only biblical faith in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is any good at all. Amen.